Um, we are going to be in Hosea, and to start it out, I'm actually going to read a song from Hank Williams. Makes perfect sense, right? Um, my brother John taught me about Hank Williams quite some time ago, and he's, he's got some good lyrics. But this is a Hank Williams song, but it very well could be a chapter in the book of Hosea. Your cheating heart will make you weep. You'll cry and cry and try to sleep, but sleep won't come the whole night through. Your cheating heart will tell on you. When tears come down like falling rain, you'll toss around and call my name. You'll walk the floor the way I do. Your cheating heart will tell on you. Your cheating heart will pine someday and crave the love you threw away. The time will come when you'll be blue. Your cheating heart will tell on you. Any Hank Williams fans? There we go. That was way more than I thought there would be. That's awesome. Um, I have, I've been listening to so much country music lately um, just because I went from farm town in Ireland for all that for last year and then trying to come back into concrete jungle city situation. It's been a little hard. So country music has been this nice little um, slowdown for me. Which is cool. But anyways, that, is, um, that, is, that literally could be a, a section of the book of Hosea. Because in Hosea, what this is, is this is a book where God is expressing his anger, um, his agony, his angst, and his ache at the unfaithfulness of his people. And, and we know Hosea is a special and unique prophet in the sense that God actually um, told Hosea the message through Hosea's experience. So God first had Hosea go and marry a, a, an adulteress, a prostitute um, woman, and then bring her into his home and then, you know, have children with her. And she continued to run away in adultery and he continued to go get her and bring her back. And so God called him, commanded him to go into this relationship and, and it broke Hosea. It crushed his heart. He thought maybe, maybe she's on track now. Maybe she's gonna stick with me now. And then she would run again and he would go get her and the places that he would go get her were heart-wrenching and horrific, and on and on and on. And so through the crushing of his, his servant's heart, Hosea's heart, God came to him and whispered the message. He said, now that you know this by experience, I want you to go speak this to my people, that this is how I feel. I feel like they have been unfaithful to me, though I have continually been faithful to them. And it grieves me, it crushes me, it breaks my heart. I'm in agony, I'm aching over the sin that they've chosen over me. And it's in that situation that um, God speaks to his people. That's what we've been talking about. And today we're going to move a little bit away from the agony and the anger, which is very prevalent in the book of Hosea. So if you didn't teach that, you would not be teaching well the book of Hosea. But today we're going to actually shift gears and look at the affection that God has for his people, because that's very clearly there in Hosea as well. Um, we're going to go to Hosea chapter 6, if you've got a Bible. Hosea 6, 1 through 6 is kind of like this culmination, all the angst, all the, the agony, all the ache, all of the affection, all culminates into this moment of, of um, clarity with, from the prophet Hosea as he's trying to communicate what the Lord wants um, for his people. So Hosea 6, 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, ding, ding, Jesus reference, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. 
His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim, the northern ten tribes of Israel? What shall I do with you, O Judah, the two southern tribes of Israel? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them in by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And we're going to focus on that phrase there at the end. I desire mercy is the sermon title I came up with for this, which is really clever and, you know, all of that. Actually, it's just in the Bible. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is basically the message that that God is trying to give to Hosea, that God is trying to give to Gomer, that God is trying to give to Ephraim and Judah even. This is the message that comes out of the book of Hosea, that what God really longs to do is shower his people with mercy. And yet, there's a challenge, because you would think people would want that. you think that would be an easy thing. After all of God's faithfulness, that people would be faithful to him. But it's not. And so we have this context of Hosea, and basically what I've tried to do this whole week as I've been studying is trying to figure out, okay, what is this message? Because later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually uses this same reference in the context of what he was dealing with. And so I've been bouncing between these two contexts, God speaking to and through Hosea, and, God, and Jesus actually walking among us using the same phrase in the context that he was in. So we're going to look at both of those. And first we're going to look at Hosea. And in the context of God, or sorry, in the context of Hosea and Gomer, God is communicating one thing, and in the context of God and Ephraim, Israel, God is communicating a different thing, but it's the same phrase, it's the same desire. So first of all, God is communicating to Hosea, this is serious now, brace yourself, he's communicating to Hosea that he is the kind of husband who still wants to be with his wife even after she has cheated on him. There's no getting around that. And all of us in our humanity say, but what about? But what about? But what about? Because we can always find reasons where we could say to a husband, hey man, you don't want her back. It's over. You should find someone else or go solo. And again, I'm not trying to say these situations are easy. I'm not trying to even tell you what to do in your situation, whatever it might be. Honestly, I'm not. But what I am saying is the book of Hosea makes it very clear that God wants Hosea and Gomer both to know that he is the kind of husband that says even after you have cheated multiple times, he wants you back with him. And that's some pretty amazing affection. That's some wild affection. So he's telling Gomer, first and foremost, that he desires mercy. That what he wants is her to come back so he can continue to love and lavish her with goodness. So he can be faithful to her. Even when she's unfaithful, he wants to be faithful to her. And he's wanting Hosea to know, Hosea, even though it will destroy you and it's crushing you and it hurts so bad, I want you to continue to shower her with mercy. 
I want you to be faithful to her even though she's being unfaithful. This is some challenging stuff. Some really hard stuff. I talked with a guy after first service that I'd never known before and he said, I'm in that exact situation you were describing today. I'm married to a gomer. I was like, that's really your name? No, he didn't say that really name. And he said, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. And so I'm saying, like, I know that what I'm saying here is piercing a few of you, probably way more than the rest of us, who've lived through that situation. But the truth is that all of us probably can, can, can relate in some way because it's such a common thing these days that even though if it hasn't happened to us, we know someone we love who it has happened to. And obviously, I'm not talking about women are the only ones who are unfaithful. This is, this is, this is, that's not the case. Men are unfaithful to women. But in this context, it's talking about a man and a wife. So that's the context of that. In the context of God and Ephraim, the northern ten tribes of Israel, the message is very clear that God is communicating through Hosea that he's the kind of husband who gets angry when she leaves, who aches and is affected by her sin, but at the same time is full of affection and still wants them back to build that life and that family with them. That is the message of Hosea. When God says, I desire mercy, this is why it's expressed in the context of Hosea and the relationship with Hosea and Gomer and Ephraim and Israel. It's powerful, powerful stuff. Matthew chapter 9, let's go there now. And we'll look at the context in which Jesus uses this same thing because he's a way better Bible teacher than I am. And he gets it right every time. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And so Matthew rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. This is all at Matthew's house. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're in a whole new context, and we have the same phrase which Jesus draws out of a thousand years of history or so. Not quite that much. But Jesus is pulling back this phrase that was common to the Jews at that point because of it being recorded in the Hebrew Bible. And he's using this phrase in this context. And in this context, you have Jesus sitting at a table with tax collectors and sinners, which are basically just the worst people you can imagine in society. They're the ones that only care about themselves. They're the ones that are broken. They're the ones that are addicted. These are the ones that you don't want your kids hanging out with. And there Jesus is sitting at table in a house with them. And the disciples are there as well. But the Pharisees come... And the Pharisees, you know, they're just kind of trying to catch Jesus doing something wrong. And so, again, they catch him doing something they think is wrong. And so they go to the disciples and they say, hey, what's the deal? Jesus is breaking all the rules. You know and I know that it's very clear that we're not supposed to be eating with people like this according to the Torah. And, and, and they, they were right. That is true. And the disciples were probably like, 
I know what you mean, man, but I, I never know what the guy's doing. He's blowing my mind all the time. And then later on, he's like, let me explain it to you. I still don't know what he's talking about. And so Jesus, though, sitting at this table, hears what the Pharisees are saying to the disciples. And so he inserts this contextual kind of application. He says, go and learn what this means to them. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And what's interesting is not only is that one context that's happening, but another context that we can't forget is the tax collectors and sinners that were sitting at the table with Jesus. If Jesus heard what the Pharisees were saying, guess what? They heard it as well. And they heard what the Pharisees saying, saying, this is not right. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing doesn't uh, you know, go, coincide with the Torah, with the teachings of God, of God. And they probably thought the same thing that the disciples thought. They're right. <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing? You don't belong with us. We're outside. We don't belong. And yet Jesus is there sitting there. So you get the context of what's happening. So in the context of Jesus and the Pharisees, When Jesus says this phrase, he's communicating that God is not impressed with their sacrifices and religious works because they have not produced a more merciful heart in them. What Jesus really wants is for them to not just be concerned about their own righteousness, but to be concerned about others knowing the mercy of God. And so, the application for us today is if our Christianity, if the practices we do in our pursuit of Jesus whether it be going to church, whether it be morning worship, whether it be um, studying the Bible, whether it be serving, whether it be tithes and offerings, givings, whatever it is. If all of these things are just giving us a, a sense of being better than other people, your Christianity sucks. If all of these things basically makes you feel better and better about yourself and maybe because you do enough you can stave off all of the bad kind of feelings you have about yourself or insecurities, your Christianity sucks. The goal, the pursuit of all of these things is so that our hearts will be more like Jesus' heart. That we will be formed more into the image of Christ. That's God's good goal for all of us. And what is that? That means our hearts would desire mercy. We would look at those who don't know the mercy of God and it would grieve us. Instead of looking at those who don't know the mercy of God and judging them or separating from them. This is challenging stuff. It was challenging back in that context. But Jesus is using this phrase to bring correction to the Pharisees who were missing the point, who were not being formed, who were not being filled with the heart of mercy that God the Father has. In the context of Jesus and the tax collectors and sinners sitting around him, Jesus is communicating that God wants to be with them. And by his mercy, he can heal them, he can cover them, and he can free them from sin and unfaithfulness. So when Jesus says this, he knows that those guys could hear him as well. And he's saying, hey, you, go, you want to come and create separation between God and these people? He's saying, I need you to go and get corrected, and I need them to know that this is exactly where God wants to be. He wants to be with them. He wants them so bad because he's the kind of husband that wants you back even after you've cheated. 
It's crazy. It's deep. It's challenging. It's hard. It's only possible with the empowering of the Spirit of God to be able to live like this. But that is the message of Hosea. There are definitely messages about God's anger at sin, his ache and agony over our unfaithfulness, but it is also a message clearly about his unbelievably massive, limitless affection towards his people. That's you and I. God is the husband who will take us back even after we've cheated on him repeatedly. Mercy. God so loved and wanted Israel, his adulterous wife, to know his love that he sent his prophet to marry a prostitute and be faithful to her even though she was adulterous repeatedly. It's mercy. Like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem saying, I long to gather you to myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks. God is weeping over Ephraim saying, I long for you to return. In Hosea, God expresses his desire. These are verses from desire, uh, from Hosea that dis- express God's desire. In chapter 6, 11, he says, I want to restore the fortunes of my people. 7, 1, he says, I would heal Israel. 7, 13, in all of their adultery and all of their breaking of my heart, I want to redeem them. I want to train and strengthen them. Chapter 11, I, when Israel was a child, I loved them. I took them up in the arms. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I eased the yoke on their jaws. I bent down and fed them. Day after day, no matter what they do, my compassion grows warm and tender towards them. And I want to return them to their homes. I want to ransom them from the power of Sheol. I want to redeem them from death. In me, the orphan finds mercy, the Lord says. I want to heal their apostasy and love them freely. In the book of Hosea, you find clearly the affection of God towards his people, even after and mixed in with his anger and ache. It echoes what the rest of the scriptures say to us time and time again, that God is full of wrath towards sin and injustice, but he's more full of mercy and loving kindness. Psalm chapter 30 says, his anger lasts but a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. That's good news right there. Because a lot of us, our Christianity sucks a lot of times. Though he will not leave the guilty unpunished, Exodus 34 says, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And 2 Timothy 2 says, though we are faithless, he remains faithful. We have never been loved by any human with a love like that. Our love is so weak and frail. Our mercy feels a lot more like pity when we give it and when we receive it. But don't stop short at pity because God wants to offer mercy. Mercy. Steadfast love. I remember when um, my dad would come home from work, um, me and my brothers, I have two older brothers, um, and we, we broke things a lot. We broke each other a lot. I got broken more than my brothers because they were bigger than me. Um, but we just broke things a lot. We, we broke my mom a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's not funny, but it's true. 
And I remember my dad coming home often and saying, I just wish there was one day I could come home and not have to spank one of you. <laughs> and it was true. I mean, either all three of us needed a spanking, um, two of us needed a spanking, or just my brother John needed a spanking. It's <laughs> kind of the way it worked out. <laughs> we, all, we all needed spankings. We needed a lot of correction. We had a lot of energy. Um, and uh, and, and I, I remember, it, like, this phrase kind of haunts me now because my dad's gone. But, um, but I think that's a bit of what the father's heart was saying. It's, I long so badly to come home one day, to find you one time, in a season where I don't have to correct you or punish you or discipline you or cut you off. But instead, I can, I can just be with you. And we can enjoy mercy together and enjoy grace. That is the Father's heart in the book of Hosea. Um, now, because we have the connection with Jesus here, I, there's a little bit of a thing. Maybe, maybe you're already here. Um, because there's a challenge to justice. Mercy challenges justice. I went to, um, this last week, I went to, I went to prison. <laughs> um, spent a little time in the slammer, um, just as a visitor. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I went down to Eloy and, uh, with some people in our church that do it regularly. And they, gave me, they asked me if I wanted to go, give me the opportunity to go. So I went, and, uh, and I went in there, and I, I don't know what the story behind each of these individuals are, but we were with about 80 guys, and, uh, and what they do is they take the guys through a Celebrate Recovery program, and, and so I, I walked in, and, and I was just kind of, there's all these guys, and there's all these tables, and so I walk in, and I saw a guy playing a ukulele, so I walked over to him, and I was like, hey, that's cool, what are you playing? And he said he's playing Lady in Red, um, and so we sang that song a little bit together, and, uh, and then I walked over to sat with some other guys at a different table, and they were playing guitar, and and um, they were playing Come, Now is the Time to Worship. They were trying to teach another guy how to play that song. And um, next thing I knew, literally, it was like the people I went with were saying one thing, and then this guy gave me his guitar, and I was leading worship for everybody. Um, so I had about 80 guys that were singing Come, Now is the Time to Worship, among other songs that we did. And they were just singing these songs just at the top of their lungs. It's probably one of the most rich, powerful, all-in worship services I've ever been a part of. Um, it was just beautiful. And, uh, and then, you know, the people I was with did the Celebrate Recovery thing, and then they asked me to share a little bit, so I shared a little bit of our story and some of what we were going through here. Um, and then we had a cool prayer time together. And, and then all these guys came up to me. They were shaking my hand. They were hugging me. And, uh, and they, one guy was, like, praying, and he was prophesying over me. And one guy gave me his Bible. He wanted me to sign his Bible, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But, um, but it was just like, here I am with tax collectors and sinners. I mean, literally, the ones who were, who were so blatant and good at it that they ended up in prison. Um, and I don't know any of their stories, but I know that they found mercy. Mercy had shown up in this place. And what was funny is they were even being merciful with us. They were being kind to us. They were, like it had shaped their hearts, changed their hearts. And again, I don't know their story, I don't know their future, but, but in that situation, you have this challenge between mercy and justice, right? 
The, the mercy doesn't take away the reality that some of these guys probably brutalized people, murdered them. And yet they had the audacity or faith, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, to believe that God has enough mercy for them. And challenged me to think that maybe the God that I believe in has enough mercy for them also. God says he desires mercy, like it's his favorite thing. And so how do these two worlds come together? Well, they come together in Jesus Christ, right? They come together at that cross where, where the river of mercy, of God's mercy, flowed into the river of God's justice. And in one moment, all was satisfied. Because of what Jesus did, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, that sinless blood that was shed, the limitless value of that is greater than all the sin we could ever commit. He paid the debt. We know that God so loved and wanted us, his adulterous wife, that he sent his son into the brothel to be tortured and killed in an expression of his steadfast love for his bride. Just like God sent Hosea to continue to go after Gomer, even after repeated unfaithfulness, God sent his own son into our world to go after us. This is the marvel of God's mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what Jesus deserves and gives Jesus what we deserve. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. God is just in showing us limitless mercy because of the limitless value of Jesus' sacrifice. The debt we incur by our sin can never outweigh the infinite payment of God's sinless Son crucified on that horrid cross. Our unrighteousness is no match for His righteousness. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins every time. Mercy never fails. And mercy is new every single morning for those of us that are willing to jump into his arms. It's awesome. Such good news. So, who's ready? Who's ready to receive God's mercy? Who's ready to be robed in the righteousness Jesus made possible through the, his death on the cross? Who's ready to turn from our self-righteousness? Our selfishness, our frail attempts to pull our human hearts and minds and souls together and instead just allow God to envelop us in his endless mercy. Who's ready to be gathered in the arms of Jesus like a mother hen gathers her chicks? Who is an exhausted young boy or girl needing to sit in their heavenly father's lap and feel the strength and goodness and compassion which beat in his heart for you? Who's ready? We're going to spend a little time kind of in quiet and in, in prayer right now, contemplation. Um, if you want to bow your heads, that's probably a good idea. And close your eyes just to help focus on maybe what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And and what I want to do in this time is we're all just really focused on connecting with our Father in heaven. I want to give anybody a chance that um, doesn't really know where they stand with God and maybe even feels far from God. 
to have a moment of of hope, a moment of courage to reach out by faith and take God's hand, his hand of mercy. And so if you're in this place right now and you've never in an audible voice told God that you need him, now's a really good time to do that. You can just whisper a prayer out loud. Say, God, I need you. Say, God, I'm sorry for ignoring you and running from you. God, I feel far from you, but I want to be close. You can say, thank you, God, for sending your son to pay a price for me. Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with your mercy. You can ask God to fill you with his spirit so that he can guide you and empower you to follow his ways. And you can ask Jesus to prepare a place for you in heaven so you can be with God forever. And all of us can ask God to fill our hearts with mercy for the people around us. And now just in the same space of closed eyes and bowed heads, I just kind of wonder if anyone prayed that prayer for the first time. And if that's you, if you feel like God is drawing you in right now and you're wanting to take his hand for the first time, would you just slip a hand up? It's awesome. There's no hurry here. This is a real important moment. Anyone else? Just want to reach that hand up and say, yes, God, I need you. Awesome. Awesome. You guys can put your hands down. We'll take just a couple more moments because I know it's scary. <laughs> it takes courage. But what you'll find is mercy. And the rest of us, we're here because we've already experienced that mercy and we come and come, keep coming back for more. So anyone else? Well, those of you that did raise your hand, it's awesome. And I just want to encourage you to, to, to talk to somebody about it. We actually have a tent out in the courtyard with people that would love to, to kind of, you know, give you a Bible, give you a couple resources, and give you some connection points to help you because there are next steps, you know. This is the beginning of a journey to get further and further into the mercy of God. And... Uh, and, you, and we do need each other in that. So please, please do tell somebody. You can come tell me if you want. That's fine. Um, but the table out there in the back would be a great place to go as well. 
Um, and for all of us, um, we're going to enter into a space right now of just, of just kind of responding to the Lord. And we have, you know, our communion cup with the bread and the, and the juice. And the bread represents the broken body of Jesus on that cross that makes us whole. And the, and the juice represents his blood, his sinless blood that cleanses us. And so this is just a time for you and God to be together. So you can come up front on your knees. You can just stand where you are. My grandpa used to always stand when he took communion out of reverence. I love that. You could stay seated, whatever you want to do. But this is a time for you to just say, okay, God, I'm returning. I'm coming. I want to be consecrated to you. I want to be cleansed anew. And I want to be filled with mercy. And these guys will lead us in a song and then dismiss us when we're done.